<laughs> good to see y'all. I gotta move fast. Anyway, good morning. Welcome. Uh, excited to be here with y'all and excited to open God's Word. Um, I know it's, uh, as I was sharing about some renovations and some updates and things like that that we have here, um, that is one of the one of the few physical things that uh, God has been changing around here, but the much more important work that he's been doing is uh, just stirring up a love in this church for one another, a love for him, a love for his word. And so uh, as we're excited about renovations here in this building, we're uh, so much more thankful for the work that God's been doing in each of your hearts and minds. And uh, collectively in this church, we're so thankful for that. And I'm uh, excited to open up, continuing this series in Exodus chapter 33 today. And so if you've got a copy of God's Word, I encourage you to turn there now. Uh, but before we get into that, I want each of us to think about a time uh, we maybe received a gift, but a really crucial part was missing. Um, I think it's, in a way, it's what we're going to talk about today. And so I can remember as a kid, a couple Christmas mornings when Santa got me uh, a toy car or a toy, but forgot the batteries. And so I couldn't play with the toy. It was a great gift, but I didn't have the most crucial part. Maybe it's not a toy car, but you've had the pleasure of putting together a, a piece of furniture from Amazon or Target, and you get those horrible little Allen wrenches. And you've just got to use those, but they forgot to put it in there. So you're like, man, I got all this stuff. What am I going to do? I don't have the, the wrench I need. Or maybe you got a purse, and I don't know if this happens often. I don't have a purse, but um, they didn't put the strap that you needed in there. And so it's just a good little bag. You know, you've got a great gift, but you're missing out on the most crucial part. Um, I don't know if any of us have power tools. I'm sure we do. I have to pay for one of those super expensive Ryobi batteries, and you get the tool. You don't have the most crucial part, the battery to make it run. And so, as we can tell, the most crucial part of the gift is what makes the gift special. It's what makes it worthy. It's what makes it worthwhile. And so, as we look at Exodus 33, we're going to see that Israel had been promised an amazing gift that God had been faithful through time and time again to continue to promise them this amazing gift. But as we see, because of Israel's sin and because of the choices that they made from last week we saw in Exodus 32, we're going to see how the consequences now would bring the gift, but without the most crucial part, God's presence. Without God's presence, the promised land, the gift that they would have would be meaningless. It would just be a a toy car without your battery or a, a fishing pole without any line. It's a good gift, and it's great that you have been promised it, but without God's presence, it would be meaningless for Israel to have the promised land. And so we're going to look in Scripture this morning, as I mentioned, Exodus 33. And the main point from this message is that God's presence is necessary for our lives. It's necessary for Israel in so many ways that we'll get into today, but it's also necessary for our lives. And so we need to treasure it. We need to value it. We need to see it as the most crucial part of what he's given us. And so some context, Exodus 32, we talked about that last week. Pastor Dave preached that message last week, and it's about how Israel was impatient, and they went and made a golden calf, an idol, and they decided to worship it to trust it, to say, this is our God, to worship it. And God had clearly commanded them not to form any idols, not to worship any idols. And so that's direct disobedience. It's sin. 
And so as we know in scripture, and as we'll talk about today, God's presence is holy. And when Israel chose to sin, they chose to separate themselves from God's holiness, from his presence. And so there would be consequences that we'll see today. But one of the high points of today is that as Moses mediated for them last week, he does that for us today, or for them, excuse me, for them today. Jesus mediates for us today. And so we'll see that connection in scripture as well. Well, there's three main points from this passage that help us see that God's presence is necessary in our lives. And the first is Roman numeral one. God's presence is holy. His presence is holy. He calls Israel to holiness. He calls us to holiness. And so following their idolatry, as I mentioned, there would be consequences. And so that takes us to the situation here provided today for Israel. And point A from God's presence is holy. Point A is provision without God's presence. It's what Israel is offered here in these first three verses. So let's follow along in Exodus 33. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a lot of ites, and go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. But I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. So provision without God's promise. God tells Moses to go to the promised land. Man, everything, everything seems great. They've got the gift they're like, all right, well, great. God's faithful to his promise. We're going to get the promised land. This is exactly what we want. They couldn't be in a better scenario right after they sinned and they completely broke their covenant with God and God is gracious to give them this gift. But here's the tension. We see in verse one that God points to Moses and says that they are your people whom you have led up out of Egypt. This doesn't sound right. God's the one who delivered them out of Egypt. God's the one who performed all these signs and wonders and graciously loved them enough to free them from the bondage of slavery and to provide for them food and his presence and guidance as they've been traveling through the wilderness. How would he say that Moses did? Well, God is saying that Moses is the one he's saying credit here in this passage, but we know that it is ultimately God who has led them. God called Moses. He equipped Moses to lead. And so as we see in this verse one, it's a little odd. There's some tension. And so remember from last week, as I've said, that Israel just recently chose to disobey God yet again by this time building an idol and worshiping that idol. And so this story is coming off the back tail end of that. And so we need to remember that context. God is so gracious that he promises them the promised land, but also in verse two, he says that he will send an angel before you, not just the angel's presence, but that he will then go take care of all their enemies. So God is gracious in the midst of Israel's sin. He is faithful in the midst of their sin. They don't deserve this at all. But the big picture is, is that God wants to redeem them. God wants to bless them. God has a plan for their life. And so he provides the same gift. He provides protection. He provides 
presence for them because he's faithful. But the negative comes up in verse 3. What do we see? That God will not go up among them. Ouch. (laughs) This is a huge problem for Israel. Why? Because God's presence is the most crucial part as to who they are. It's what they need to tick. It's their identity. It's who they are. You can throw out the Ark of the Covenant, the tabernacle, everything without God's presence. It's all meaningless without God. Without the one whom you are worshiping, it's meaningless. And so they have a huge fork in the road. They can be content with God's blessing, with his hand, with what he gives them, or they can choose to say, no, I want God himself. I can choose what he gives me, or I can treasure his presence in him more than just his gift. And so the reason, like I said, that they, that they have this condition is because of their sin. God just didn't flip the script and say, you know what, now I'm not going to go with you. It's because Israel broke their covenant, their relationship with God, that now they have consequences to pay. And we see that, honestly, as we think about Exodus, this is probably the lowest point of Israel's history. They have had a God who has looked on them for hundreds of years in the beginning of Exodus while they were in slavery and had compassion for them and equipped a leader to then go out and lead them out of the horror that they were in. God has been faithful to free them from a crazy leader in Egypt and to bless them and protect them along this way. And now because of their sin, they have broken God's covenant. And they're really down in the dump here. They, it seems that they have no way out. The question is, how will they respond? They're faced with the need of recognizing their sin because point B, recognition of sin leads to repentance. Let's look at verses 4 and 6 and see how they respond. It says, When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments, that I may know what to do with you. Therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. As this is one of Israel's lowest moments, this is also one of their good moments right here, where they recognize their sin. They're like, you know what? We did sin by deciding it was a good idea for us to throw some gold together, make a calf, and worship it instead of the God who has faithfully led us out of Egypt. That was a sin. That was wrong. And so we see here in these verses that they repent. Starting off in verse 4, they say that this is a disastrous word. They recognize that having the gift of God without the presence of God is a disaster. And so what do they do? They mourn, and they repent by taking off these ornaments, or what would be translated also as jewelry. And so it's the, the same, you may be wondering, where do they have jewelry? It's from when God blessed them with, this protect, or with these provisions of jewelry from Egypt when they left there. And so it's the same stuff that God has given them. Now they are stripping down and saying, I don't need this superficial stuff. I need a supernatural presence of God. They're choosing to lay aside what once led them to sin in the last passage. Their own choices of this gold led them to sin in the last passage with building a calf and now saying, I'm laying this down 
God, I need you. They're desiring his presence. They respond correctly. And so they've changed their heart. I think it can be common for us in the 21st century to maybe pray a prayer or walk an aisle or make a commitment with our mouth, but then not have a, a life that is devoted to Christ, a life that recognizes our sin, recognizes our need for repentance daily, trusts God for who he is. It can be easy to do something like that. But we have to, as Israel did, surrender fully strip ourselves of our pride, strip ourselves of who we are, and cling to God in dependence on him, in his presence. And this has impact in our life today. As we see in scripture, the, the condition was that they couldn't have God's presence with them. But we know if we're a believer, 1 Corinthians 3 verse 16 tells us, do you not know that you are God's temple, and that God's temple dwells in you, or tabernacles in you. God's presence is in us to equip us as the church to go and make disciples. We don't have to worry about God's presence coming and going in our life. Though we sin, though we turn in repentance and trust God, we can trust that his presence is promised with us forever, that he dwells in us, that it's not just about the tabernacle or about the tent of meeting or whatever, that God dwells in us. And so his presence is holy, and as we pursue him, we need to be holy. And one way that we can do this, one way we can agree with the mission of Christ, is to intercede for people. And we'll see in the rest of this chapter that Moses intercedes for Israel, Roman, number, Roman numeral two. Moses intercedes for Israel because of his motive. And that motive is point A, intercession is derived it's derived from a love for God. Intercession comes from when we love God. It starts out there. In the next point, we'll see how it affects other people. But if we truly love God, then we'll be about God's presence being with as many people as we can tell. We will want to join Christ's mission to go make disciples for people to come from death to life to recognize their sin, repent, recognize what God's love did for them on the cross, to come to this earth, that Jesus would come to this earth fully God, fully man, give his life a ransom for many, that he would look on us and want to give himself as a sacrifice for us. And so as his people, we have to want that for others. So we intercede. As we see in verses 7-11, or 7-11, it's a good gas station. 7 through 11, Moses intercedes. Verse 7 says, Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face 
as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. So, the things it seems as things have changed quite a bit. And why? It's because Moses has a love for God, so he intercedes for his people. Moses loved God, and so he made the effort to spend time in God's presence, to spend time communing with him, because he loves God. And so this tent of meeting that we see in these verses is different in Exodus 39 and 40, when God commands them, I'm not going to spoil that part, but it's a great part where God commands them and his presence does dwell with them in the midst of them. So I'm sorry, that's a spoiler. Things do change from this chapter today. It's wonderful. Um, and so seeking God now took an effort because we see in, in these verses that it's outside the camp. It's not right there in the middle as it's going to be soon. Uh, and so it was a big deal when Moses went to intercede for them. He took effort to go intercede for these people, spend time with God. And so as we see in verses 9 through 10, when Moses went into the tent, God's presence would descend at the entrance of the tent with a pillar of cloud. Can you imagine how cool that must have looked? I think it's easy for us to read things like this in Scripture and just gloss over it. But just think about that for a second. God loved his people so much that he wanted them to have a visible sign that he was present with their leader. And so he sent the pillar of cloud, the sign of his presence, to dwell over the entrance of the tent where Moses was speaking to God. How wonderful is that? And so because Moses loved God, he spent time with God. And as the people saw that, they went and worshiped God. And this is why it's so important for us to intercede for other people. We need to be about the business of praying for those around us, that they would be led to God, that they would have God's presence in their life. And we need to do it in an intimate way. So we see in verse 11, it says, that, uh, it says that the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. This is obviously uh, just play on words of intimacy, that they had intimacy in their communing with one another, as they would talk with one another. We see in Scripture that no one can see the face of God and live. So we know this isn't literal but we understand that they had an intimate relationship. And so I want to ask, would you say that God speaks intimately to you? As you read his word, does, does the Holy Spirit make it come alive to you? In your time of prayer, in your time of interceding for others, do you know that God's presence is with you? Not just because you feel something, but because you know that he's with you in scripture, that you can trust him. And we all need to be interceding for people because of our love for God, as Moses did. I think it's, it's really special because Moses, in order to meet with God, he had to go outside of the camp. He had to make this big effort. He had to go pitch a tent to go meet with God. We don't have to do that today. As we see in Scripture in 1 Corinthians 3.16, as I mentioned, that God dwells in us. The Holy Spirit dwells in us, so we have God's presence in us. How much more ought we spend time with our Father? How much more ought we intercede for those who are His people, for those who do not know Him, that they would come to know Him? 
And so we'll only do this when we have a love for people because point B, intercession is displayed through a love for people. So it's derived from a love for God and it's displayed through a love for people. You see, it can be easy for us to want to have God's presence for ourselves and then not go pray for people. But if we truly love Christ, then we truly love others. And this is displayed through how we pray for them. And we see this in verses 12 through 17. Follow along with me. It says, Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. It's different than what happened in verse 1, as God was saying, whom you have brought up from the land of Egypt. So anyway, um, just want to point that out as we're heading along. Uh, Verse 13, so now if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he said to them, if him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? Here's God's response. Verse 17, he says, And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight. And get this, God says, I know you by name. Hmm. That is the power of interceding. When we get up and say, I will go pray for someone. I will love them enough because of my love for God, because of my relationship with God, because of my intimate relationship with God, I will get up and go pray for them. This is what happens when God hears our prayers. He always hears our prayers, but God acts when we pray. He doesn't need us. He didn't need Moses to pray Moses was just interceding, and God was gracious. Remember this plan of redemption that God has for Israel. Moses was just a tool, an instrument along this plan. And so intercession matters. Moses is desperate for God's presence, as we see in verse 12. And he's hung up on the fact that God won't go with them. He doesn't just want to know God. He, wasn't, doesn't, he doesn't just want to know if God will go with them or not. Verse 13, Moses begs God, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. He wants to know God in a personal way, a deeper relationship. J.I. Packer says, a little knowledge of God is worth more than a great deal of knowledge about him. This is why we were made, to know God and be known by God. For an illustration, I can read a biography on the Queen of England. I could meet her. I could shake her hand. I could hang out with people who know her. I could hang out with her family, people that really know her. But none of that would cause me to know her. I would just know things about her. To know her, she would need to open up to me, establish a friendship to help me know her by more. 
then I could say that I actually know the Queen of England. And I'd feel grateful and undeserving to know her because she doesn't need to know me. I'm someone lowly, but she chose to. And so in a similar way, we can know God. We can know him by reading his word, by spending time in prayer with him. We can know God and he knows us. We don't know God just by hanging out with the people who know him or just by listening to sermons or just reading in books information about God. We need a relationship with God in order to know him. Moses didn't want to be the only one to know God. And I hope, as you each are here this morning, that you don't want to be the only one in your friend groups and your family to know God, that you would have a desire for other people to know him. And so in verse 14, God responds to this desire for Moses. He says, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. This you is singular. Moses is praying that he would know God and that the people would know God. And God says, well, I'll go with you. But this isn't good enough for Moses. There's no I in team for him. He doesn't just want a personal promise of God's presence. He wants God's, peop or he wants God's people to have that presence as well. So he pleads. He says something that could later be uh, foreshadowed to in John 15, verse 15. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Moses recognizes in verse 15, he says, if you will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. He's like, I cannot lead these people. We need your presence. This is a man desperate for God's presence. They couldn't go one step. And not just for their guidance, but in verse 16, as we see to their testimony to the world. When Moses was interceding for Israel another time, in Numbers 14, verses 13 through 14, he said, then the Egyptians will hear of it, for you brought up this people in your might from among them. And they will tell the inhabitants of this land, they have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of this people. Moses knows that without God, they will not be distinct. God will not get the glory through Israel if God's presence is not with them. It wouldn't be any other way that they would glorify God without his presence. People wouldn't look to Israel for their wealth. They didn't have any money. They wouldn't look to them for their land. They were living in the wilderness. It was only going to be by God's presence in them that people would see Israel and glorify God. And we have that same opportunity in our lives, that we would choose for people to look at us and see God. Not that people would say, oh, this person is so wonderful because of them, that they would look to Christ and say, I can worship the Lord. I can trust him because of God's presence in your life. I see what he's doing in your life, and I want that. And so Moses pleads, he intercedes for Israel, and in verse 17, God graciously grants his request. God's moved to compassion, not because of Moses, not because of Israel, but because of who he is. It's the love of God that Moses has. It's the, it's the love for God of Moses that he mercifully looks past Israel's sin, and he listens to Moses interceding for Israel. Intercession is powerful. Moses was Israel's mediator in this time. And he was a good mediator, but he's nothing compared to Christ, the mediator that we have, 
the one who stood in the gap between our sin and God's holy presence. And Jesus stood there, died on the cross for our sins, died and rose from the grave three days later that we could have a relationship with God. If only we would trust him. If only we would give our lives to know him, that we would repent of our sins and believe who he is and receive him into our heart. And the reason that God listened to Moses as a mediator is because God had favor on him. And as our mediator, Jesus, in Matthew 3, verse 17, says, God the Father said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So God has favor on our mediator, Christ. And Jesus is our mediator. 1 Timothy 2, verse 5 says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. So Jesus is our mediator. He is our hope for salvation. He is our hope for right relationship with God because of Jesus interceding and mediating for us. We can have a relationship with God. And just as Jesus sought the glory of God, Moses wants to, Roman numeral three, seek the glory of God. We'll close out with these last few verses. 18 through 23 says, Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So at this point, we'd all probably be satisfied. <laughs> we could look back and say, as Moses did, Moses saw God move in miraculous ways in Egypt by freeing his people. He had a crazy experience with God in the form of a burning bush, he was called by the creator of the world to lead these people. Moses had so much already. Yet in verse 18, what does he say? He said, please show me your glory. Moses wants more because of everything that God has done in his life. Because of God's relationship with Moses, he wants more of God. He wants to know him more. He wants his people to know God more. And so he prays this bold prayer that God would show him his glory. And it's not because Moses is entitled to do this. God says in the next verse that he'll, he'll be gracious to whom he'll be gracious to and show mercy to whom he'll show mercy to. In the New Testament, we see this verse um, quoted in Romans 9, verse 15, about the sovereignty of God and salvation. And so our connection here is that no one is entitled to be saved. We know that it is not anything of ourself that God will be gracious to us, anything of ourself that he will be merciful to us. It is only by God that he would save us and give us a relationship with him. And that's what he's telling Moses here, that he will be gracious to whom he will be gracious to, and he will show mercy on whom he will show mercy. And so the character of God does not depend on our worthiness. It didn't depend on Moses' worthiness, and it doesn't depend on our own for salvation. And so we can trust that. And I think it can be easy for us to read this passage and see where God is telling Moses 
that he's going to do this miraculous thing for him and reveal himself, reveal his presence to him in this incredible way that really no one in history has seen before. But we have a much better revelation of God's presence to us. Moses's would be temporary. As I mentioned earlier, 1 Corinthians 3.16 says that God dwells in us. So as Moses would temporarily get to experience this, we get this every single day. Not something physical and visible like this, but we get God's presence in us every single day for those of us who have a relationship with him. And we are far better off for it. Um, But if you don't have God's presence in you, you can today. And I want to call the worship team and prayer team up front as I share with you how. And we believe here at Coastal that Scripture teaches that we are sinful people. As we saw in Exodus, that these people, Israel, have disobeyed God. We believe that we are sinful people separated from God, just as Israel was, because of our sin, our choices, God's holiness. And so Jesus is the way that we can have God's presence. As Moses was Israel's mediator, we have Jesus as ours. Jesus stood in the gap for us between our sin and God's holiness. He made the only way for us to have salvation, to be connected, to have a relationship with God. And so we have a response because of Jesus's work. We have a response to the gospel, to this good news that I've shared. And to receive salvation, to receive God's presence in you forever, here and now, there's three things you must do. Repent of your sins. Trust that you are a sinner, that you do not have it all together. Surprise, surprise, no one's perfect. And so recognize that. Recognize that you're a sinner. And two, trust that Jesus is God, that he is who he says he is, that he came to this earth to die on the cross for us, to pay a horrible death for us, and to raise from the dead, to defeat death and sin and separation from God so that we could have a relationship with him. And finally, receive him as your Lord and Savior. And as we saw in Exodus 33, God has a plan for us through his presence. He has a a plan for us to be with him forever. And so I pray that if you receive Christ today, if you have, if you're thinking about it, tell someone talk to us. We'll have prayer leaders up front that you can be able to talk with after service and just be able to work through this because this is important. God's presence is the most crucial part of our lives. It's what we need the most of. And so for the rest of us, I would just challenge you to crave God's presence as Moses did. Crave more of God for yourself, but crave more of God for those around you. Start praying for those around you. Pick a neighbor around you and start praying for them this week, that God would change their life. He would give them his presence, but that he could use you in the midst of that to be a tool as Moses was for them. And I think as we pray these prayers that God would honor that, that we would trust God, that we would give ourselves to him. And so there's three take-home thoughts I just want to read off, and then I'll pray and we'll continue in song and praise. But do you value God's presence more than his blessings? Two, your love for God and for people is displayed through interceding for others. And three, when was the last time you prayed with boldness to know God deeper? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. 
God, we, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. Um, God, your word is comforting in the fact that we can know you, that you are gracious and merciful to us despite our sin. God, it's comforting in that fact. And Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you that you made the only way for us to have a relationship with you. God, I pray as we leave these doors today that we would trust that your presence is the most crucial thing in our life, that having a relationship with you is the X factor. And so God, we pray that that knowledge of you would extend to pray for others, to intercede on behalf of others because of our love for you. God, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for this time. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen.